Welcome back to Break the Boxes, the show. My name is Lemma. And I'm Azmira. And you're listening on WMBR 88.1. Welcome back to our second episode. We're very excited. Azmira, do you want to remind them what our show is? Yes, thank you, Lemma. So we are here um, aiming to build lines of communication, solidarity, access resources by amplifying voices of the work being done by local grassroots organizers, creators, artists, artivists, activists, educators, storytellers, providing a deep dive into discussions that matter. Um, We're looking at what undergirds sort of the spirit behind the work that they do, what fuels them. Um, And each week we're inviting a creator um, or activist to talk about some of their stories, their work, and how music sustains their reach and deepens their spiritual resolve um, to garner collective energy to disrupt current modes of oppression. So (laughs) we are so excited um, to be joined today by our guest, uh, Rami Yunus, who is a Palestinian journalist, filmmaker, and activist from LID who aims to amplify local opinions through various mediums. Rami writes about issues of interest and political importance to the Palestinian community in Israel and occupied territories. As a cultural activist, he's also one of the co-founders of the Palestine Music Expo. He previously served as media consultant and spokesperson to Palestine MK Hanin Zoabi. Um, And he recently completed a Harvard Religion, Conflict and Peace Fellowship at Harvard University, where he was researching and writing about cultural activism, also doing work in the public sphere around Black and Palestine solidarity. So we're honored to have Rami, and we also are extra, extra honored to be in conversation with the co-host, Lean, feeling mean, looking clean, all the way up there in Oak Lean, or Berkeley, I should say. Um, and Lean is doing some incredible, preparing to continue some really dope work overseas. Um, growing up in Beirut, Lebanon, Lean intimately observed the effects of violence and displacement on health. Early on, she recognized that current health systems regularly fail migrant and mobile populations, looking to participate in the broader interventions against the structural inequities in healthcare. Lean pursued a master's in epidemiology at the Harvard. Um, T.H. Chan School School of Public Health. She graduated this past May and is moving to Beirut for the next few months to be a part of the rebuilding and reconstruction process post the August 4th explosion. So Lean is doing really incredible work and it's such an honor and blessing to be in conversation with both Rami and Reem as we uh, build lines of communication and solidarity. So um, re- lean, lean, lean. Oh my God, I'm a scream. Where is this <laughs> coming from? Where are, you, where are you calling in from, Lean? Let us know how you're feeling. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I'm calling in from Berkeley, California. Um, 
where I went to college before I moved to Boston. Um, but back here with my family and Lemma sitting right next to me and we're super excited to start this. Yeah, it's so incredible. I, I was telling them earlier, um, I spent some of my formative years in Berkeley and the organizing and the history that, that, that takes place there is something that we all feel the ripple effects of still to this day. Um, so thank you so much um, for being here. Uh, so Rami, we want to jump right in um, just to give the viewers a little context. Um, you and I actually met through the Religion and Conflict and Peace Initiative at Harvard when I went um, as, a, as a student uh, to Lid and to Palestine um, in 2019. I remember meeting you in your hometown. I guess that leans right into the first question around um, what inspired you uh, to do work around the Palestine Music Festival. Why, why does that matter? Why is it important? And you and I have talked a little bit about this. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it'd be really powerful to hear from you. Like, yeah, so the Palestine Music Expo at PMX is a music event that connects Palestinian musicians with people from the industry, from the international industry, producers, booking agents, managers, people from label companies. Uh, and we basically showcase Palestinian talent and bring these people to Palestine, all these internationals to Palestine, uh, to connect them with, uh, uh, with the talent that we have in here. And at the same time, uh, we use the, their time in here to have workshops with them and to basically educate ourselves because we don't have an industry and we don't have an infrastructure for a proper music industry in Palestine. So we're trying to create something bigger than just like exposing Palestinian musicians to the world. Um, um, so, so yeah, and we, so we, we do all these activities with them and we show them what it's like to live under occupation. Uh, we take them on tours, we take them to refugee camps, they see everything. And so it's the best, the best, the best, the best, you know, the best thing to do if you want to learn about Israel and Palestine and to know what is true in that age, the age of fake news and the age of Fox News, it's been, it's been, it's been quite an age. <laughs> uh, to go to Israel, Palestine and see what's happening for yourself and talk to both Israelis and Palestinians. That's just a side note and I tell that to everyone. Um, okay, so, so that's the Palestine Music Expo and we started that back in 2017. That was the first, that was in the inaugural year of PMX. We started planning uh, that two years before uh we did that uh, a bunch of activists musicians and we had a partner just one partner a guy who had uh, 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 an indie company an indie label company in the uk uh, uh martin um he came to palestine and he met palestinian musicians and he met us and uh, together we decided uh, to use martin's connections and to use our ambition and our creativity and the fact that a lot of us come from the industry and we know its needs and we know what artists, Palestinian artists really need. When we started this, uh, we did it as an experiment in 2017. We brought 30 delegates. Uh, we call them delegates, the people we bring from the industry. And we showcased, I think, 25 or 24 uh, Palestinian, uh, uh, 21, sorry, the first year, 21 uh, bands or musical acts or, you know, um, we had thousands of people showing up, crowd, a crowd of thousands of people to the festival, became a festival, and it became a success. Uh, a lot of Palestinians, uh, Palestinian artists got, uh, got deals, they were signed, they went on uh, uh, tour, tours in Europe, uh, um, Japan. So, so it started, we started something that was, we didn't know what we were doing. Back then, we didn't call it 
to be honest, we didn't call it cultural activism or cultural resistance. Um, when I'm um, mm. amongst friends, we can say cultural resistance. This is not just, you know, activism. It's activism for a cause that we already know what what it is, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so we didn't see it as a tool of cultural resistance. So the occupier tries to erase your culture. You celebrate your culture and you connect that culture with the with the world um we didn't really understand what we were doing and later on it hit us when we started like getting media coverage when we when we started seeing what this festival had done in the international uh, uh, music conferences uh, uh, world uh because it is something between a music conference and a festival like it's not just you know it's not just like shows so so yeah when 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 we understood what we were doing uh, me pers- I personally went back to you know where it all started uh, I started as a political activist I was a student at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem so an Israeli university uh, I am a Palestinian citizen of Israel which means I can go to Israeli uh, universities because I I mean I don't have any other universities <laughs> um I mean I can go to yeah I mean it's basically I'm 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 like an Israeli student in that sense uh, so, um, so yeah, I became a political activist back then. Later on, we, uh, uh, I li- returned to Lid, my hometown, which is a mixed city, uh, meaning Jews and Arabs live there. Uh, and um, back then, in 20, it was 2008, there was, uh, the, there was a massacre on Gaza, the massacre in Gaza. It was the first massive, uh, uh, really brutal, barbaric attack on Gaza back in the, the end of December 2018. Uh, it started back then. So when I got back home to my hometown, a bunch of my friends just graduated back then. We were young and we, we felt like we had energy and we were passionate and we, we, we needed to do something because people were, you know, kids, families, women, elderly, you know, civilians were being slaughtered in Gaza. And it was beyond, I, I couldn't just like, you know, do anything. So we, we started demonstrating and we, we did a lot of activities. And then we decided to say, listen, we can't like save all those people in Gaza, but we can really push back against the Israeli establishment that tries to erase our culture and our identity yes. uh, and, and all these things. So we started a, an activist group called Khutwe. Khutwe meaning a step in Arabic, a step towards change, a step towards increasing the awareness on Palestinian identity issues and on other issues. Uh, we were very active amongst you know, you know, young people, youth, teenagers mainly, working with them on their identity because if they, the fact you don't know you're Palestinian, meaning you don't know your history. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know where you come from, it becomes extremely easy to manipulate you. That's right. Um, and they've been doing, they've been using these manipulations, not just in Israel, Palestine, in the context of, you know, I'm talking right now, and the context of the Palestinian citizens of Israel and their relationship with the establishment, but also in other, you know, uh, communities uh, uh, throughout the world. I mean, Malcolm X was one of those leaders who emphasized the importance of education of education uh, uh, and knowing where you come from or at least trying to understand where you come from and what happened to you in the past so uh, it it won't be so easy for them to continue manipulating you so anyway we were very active on that issue on on these issues we demonstrated a lot i went to uh, uh, i was i got arrested a few times so it's like we we live these activists you know these this activist life and we were very active 
But what happened after that is that like, the, the problem with activism and being very, very involved. Back then, I used to work in a pharmaceutical company. So mm -hmm. I, I felt like I, I, I had like, I led like a... Uh, <laughs> you uh, had like this thing going, like what direction you're trying to move? <laughs> Yeah, after work, I would like I'd be wearing a suit, you know. I I I'd be I'd be I'd go back home after work and uh, and and I put on a, like a torn T-shirt and uh, that hasn't been washed in like two months or something, <laughs> and go and demonstrate and organize and you know work, and I really really enjoyed it. Um, at some point, I became so addicted to it, like I some activist and. Um, well, you have to understand that back then, Palestinian activism was very much alive, not like today. Today, very few people still demonstrate in Palestine. Mm. Um, yeah, and that's a big, that's a whole other issue. We can we can talk okay. about that. Yeah, uh, but it, that's something that's 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 a big issue. Uh, there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, so anyway, uh, back then we uh, it was it was it was it was a lot of that and and a lot of activism. So I became known as. As, as God, as this person who's like everywhere, like, oh, there's a demonstration in Haifa, Rami will be there. What, two hours after the demonstration in Imel Fahim, I'll be there too, in Nazareth, oh, yes, the same day, are you kidding me? Yeah, you know. I, was, I, was, I became addicted to, to activism and it kind of, it was very, very exhausting because when you, you win a struggle, but you lose like nine or 10 others, you know, it's yeah. like the, the ratio is very, very, I, I, I don't, I don't want to say not satisfying because that struggle you win, knowing you help people like with housing issues or like uh, something, you know, that magnitude, something with that importance uh -huh. uh, and big change, uh, you feel pretty happy with yourself. But, but you know, you just lose. I mean, right. big, most I of the time you just lose. No, I think you're, you're touching on something so um, powerful in terms of, you know, you, 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 you win a few, a few battles, but you lose, you know, you, you, you lose so, so, so much at the same time. And it's a, and, yeah. and how that can wear on people's spirit. And you mentioned that, you know, palace in Palestine, folks aren't taking to the streets as much as they were before. And that's a whole other topic yeah. talk about why, but I want to pass the mic to, um, to lean because I know her work is looking at displacement, um, and the effects of violence. Um, and she's mm. in Oakland or in Berkeley, um, I love that you tied in Malcolm X. I mean, we could talk for days. We'll have a whole nother, you know, conversation on what his work and his life meant, but also this internationalism that is on the rise, right? With Movement for Black Lives, um, folks here in Boston are organizing internationally with NSARS in Nigeria or in Guinea or in Tanzania or in Zimbabwe or Zambia, right? Like this is, a, we're, you're touching on a colonial, like pushing back against white supremacist, colonialist, capitalist, imperialist, patriarchy, right? <laughs> to invoke the words of bell hooks. So I'll pass yeah. the mic to Lean um, to chime in uh, a little bit before we switch gears. Yeah, you know, I think that um, I really love and the idea of art as a form of resistance because I think that for people who have, you know, really lost it all, they've lost their, their home, they've lost their country, they've lost, um, you know, even family members, storytelling and art um, and being able to bring the, the summary of their ancestors and the history of their ancestors is the only, one of the only things that they can hold on to. Mm -hmm. I remember during the invasion of the U.S. and Iraq, my mom, we would be watching the news and my mom would just watch the news daily, just devastated. But I remember when the U.S. bombed one of the most historical museums in Baghdad, she was crying for a day. And, 
you know, it wasn't till later that I realized like it's it's this is you know they're they're destroying the summary of a country, their culture, and I think colonizers and occupiers have been using that as a tool for for years and for decades. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I really love you know this idea of art as a form of resistance, and I think it's one of the most, if not the most, powerful tools that we can use when we're feeling you know. Um, you know, a little bit helpless in, in, in during war and conflict. Mm -hmm. yeah. no, when, when, when the Palestinians, uh, uh, sorry, when, when the Israelis uh, invaded the Beirut in uh, 1982, uh, when they were fighting the, the PLO uh, uh, in, in Lebanon, uh, so the, the, one of the first things they did after, you know, penetrating Beirut was to seize the uh, uh, a true national treasure, treasure, which is the Palestinian cinema archive in, in, in Beirut. So they just took everything, all of our, you know, filmmaking history, mm -hmm. uh, all our cinema history, and basically hid it in Tel Aviv. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's... it's the cultural... Yeah, and that, yeah, that makes me think of um, uh, what happened to Yab in Yabus recently, right? Like Yeah, exactly, with, you know, mining but really it's not even mining it's 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 just the erasure of any cult, form of cultural resistance and why is that and i think that yeah go ahead and that's a problem right now that's to me that's one of the biggest tragedies tra uh, tragedies with with covid uh it's like lean really touched the, on a very uh, a sensitive subject here and it's it should be highlighted and we should be talk about it some more uh, people see culture as I mean, I, we see culture as a need, you know, we see art as a need. Uh, it's, it's a basic uh, uh, human need. And, uh, and, we, uh, and, and when we're being, we're being prevented from that need, I mean, we can't really, we don't have any, we don't have access to that need. Also because we're kept in poverty uh, and not just because the occupier or the colonizer tries to uh, take it away uh, uh, from us. Uh, sometimes also because we don't, we can't really, afford it and we can't afford to think of it, let alone, you know, afford to consume it. But, but what's happening, what's happening right now with COVID, and I know that as someone who has a, a, a music expo uh, and also someone who's a filmmaker and tries to, you know, uh, fundraise for uh, his projects, is that people are, if it's not Corona related, they don't want to hear about it. Mm. You know, I'm talking about people who could support your, uh, your projects. And that's a big, big tragedy. Interesting. No, no resources are, are being, you know, diverted to us. To people. Yeah. That's interesting yeah. that you say that because I almost feel as if I'm not ready to see anything about COVID yet. Like, I don't think I've compartmentalized, processed, or even like grieved what we've lost yet in order for me to see it represented on TV or in music. Like, I don't want to watch people in masks because I'm still ready to avoid that reality that that's yeah. how we interact with each other. But also something to touch on what you said earlier, like um, because I'm Palestinian and I and I have you know come to the U.S. and I have met more Israelis than Palestinians. It's interesting because sometimes I'll meet like an Israeli person will be like, "Oh yeah, you're the first Palestinian person that I've ever met," and I'm just like, "But you lived in that country, like you lived in a country." where this is very much the history and the ongoing struggle, like how is that even possible? Mm -hmm. And that's just 
also very frustrating for me, like to think about how the world sees Israel today. Like time is not in our favor, right? Like the culture erasure is becoming more and more of a problem because where Palestine culture starts and ends is becoming grayer and grayer because the people who like are born and living in Israel now, you know, are mostly Israelis and not like Palestinians. So that amount of culture of like, whose hummus is that? You know, who, where does that come from? Where is the, it's like the whole age old argument between the Ottomans and the Arabs, like, is Ba'lawa ours? Is it theirs? You know, like, in, but in a far more dramatic and like terrible way. And also just like, I'm always frustrated because people will talk to me as an engineer about Israel from like a startup nation. And like, all of a sudden it's this very cool place that's reused their resources to be this really cool place in the technology. And I'm just like, um, okay, but can we just reconcile first its current and ongoing history of apartheid? Like, how do we just completely dismiss that because they're doing some cool thing? And that's just very representative of what you were talking about earlier. Like, the stories aren't being told, the facts aren't being investigated by the people who live there. So no one really understands their history or their role in it. And it's just incredibly frustrating and infuriating. And I do feel helpless sometimes because I'm just like, okay, cool, like really cool internship you got. Like, I don't know what you want me to say to that. Like, I, And it's almost as if you can't be emotional because it's like this pseudo not it's this neutral spot is like innovation and i'm like no that's not true you know like innovation is not this neutral point of view like there you can have a side you can be against the source of the innovation like in the same way that you can be against amazon taking over the world you know yeah. <laughs> well, think about um like even this reality like the colonial legacy of just it, um, attacks against indigenous folks in Hawaii, for example. Hawaii's been under US occupation for 120 plus years, and it's illegal under you know international law but no one talks about that i grew up in hawaii right and and even as an american right like indigenous people have been under us occupation for 400 plus years and palestine yeah. has been under israeli occupation for 70 plus years like what would happen if we look at it under in sort of those frameworks around um like the violence can, can a nation exist without expulsion without ethnic cleansing is that possible right in hawaii queen liliokalani and king kamehameha like you know their their land their culture their identity stolen but they're given sort of small emergent schools for for their descendants similar to what happens here you know with native americans and inshallah that won't continue to happen but i mean but we see it continuing to happen but it's so ironic that to your point lemma this is the case but unlike what happened in the u.s where you know entire like almost entire like population of indigenous folks are wiped out. Palestinians are still there growing in like almost over half the population. So if they're being sequestered into these smaller enclaves, but they're not moving or leaving, what is Israel going to, going to do? So maybe their memory or, or the idea of Palestine, and Nora was talking about this recently in terms of the, the like Palestine living in the hearts and minds of, of its entire diaspora, whether or not folks want to recognize or acknowledge it, Palestine isn't going anywhere because the people are there. Like when I visited my grandpa's land in Hebron or in Al-Khalil, I was like, this is a joke. Like folks are here for, like they are not going anywhere. So what are, what is, what is Israel, like what are they going to do, right? Like it's, it's gonna be a, con they're gonna continue to violate human rights. And at some point, something's gotta give because they're not, they're simply not going anywhere. And they're, and yeah, I just think it's, it's, 
to have this conversation to back to what you I want to bring it back to what you're talking about Rami um, uh, when you were here as a religion conflict and peace fellow and sort of the momentum that you saw where this um, presence of black and Palestine solidarity um, was beginning to I think it, it still is continuing to and I want to name that as someone who works within even black Christian spaces um, and we're right now working with black Christian people to kind of galvanize conversations around Palestine because we know that Christian Zionism is a real thing um, and it's and Christian black Christians are targeted by Zionists um, because they know oh, yeah. that black people get behind anything it, they're, they're, that their possibility lies for change to, ha to, to, to happen. And so I know, so conversations are being had, but I, I want to focus more on what you saw when you were here, um, whether it was when you were, you know, on a panel with Dr. West talking about the possibilities or what, what, what is, what's present on campus and off, off campus and what that takeaway was for you. What was your takeaway based on your time there? And maybe it's something you're still processing, but we appreciate you and you letting us into your well, in terms of you know activism and what we did on the um, um, on the issue of Palestine uh, or you know Black Palestinian solidarity, I feel like everything just happened organically. Nothing was nothing was very much planned. Like that wasn't my intention when I when I when I when I came to Harvard. It was, but you know, a, a friend told me once uh, years ago. He said, "Listen, man, you're gonna stay an activist." You can't run from it because I mean, back then when I was talking about how I, you know, I was I was a a, a, a so-called radical, straightforward political activist, you know, organizing demonstrations and marching and in, in community organizer, what you call on the U.S. community organizer, uh, and uh, but it something was when I, it it was wearing me out. So we so that's why I, I and I was I got sick of losing, and like like we said before, most battles and most struggles you lose. Um, so that's why I switched to something that was more of a, a, a short thing, which is like, you know, the Palestine Music Expo, like doing my film, which is activism in an artistic way. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, you can't really lose there. That's the thing. That's a beautiful thing about it. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, it's been, I haven't been organizing, uh, if it's not, you know, culturally, cultural or, or arts related, I haven't been really organizing the, uh, in recent years. So being in Harvard and seeing all this energy and, you know, being invited to all these places and to talk and to, uh, 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 and to expose people to facts and, you know, that basically that daily life under occupation in Palestine and not just the occupation you hear on the, uh, you, you see on the news, but also the occupation of 1948. I mean, I'm a descendant of a Nakba survivor. My grandparents uh, survived the ethnic cleansing of 1948 uh, about 1.8 Palestinians now living in Israel that the world doesn't know enough about. Um, and I, I, very few people in the U.S. that are not Palestinian uh, 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 know about us, you know. Um, so I became, you know, I, I, I saw that I was being invited and talking to uh, in all these events and talking to people and meeting people. Also, I mean, I tried to make the most of of this uh, opportunity and um, I tried to meet as many people as I could uh, and I made it somewhat my mission to, 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 to tell people about the 48ers, the people that stayed in 48 after 48 and were able to stay somehow and survive the Nakba. So it was, but I didn't, again, I didn't, that wasn't, I had my own projects, I was doing, I was working on my own projects 
doing trying to do my own research so and i kind of needed that peace and quiet and to like detach myself from you know the actual place which is palestine and get a more like a wider perspective like zoom out and look at it on a macro level um and look at the whole thing at a macro level while you know just like basically chilling also i mean i <laughs> you need to recharge your batteries every now and then every few years um so but but i, I again i saw this massive amazing energy and you know people who are not people who hadn't been like you know worn out like you know the, the same way i i i i i i was like i i i remember and i i it's been i think it's been two years or three years since i joined the demonstration here in palestine like i can't demonstrate anymore i've been in so many like hundreds of demonstrations yeah. uh but uh but i haven't been demonstrating in a while but i saw your energy i'm talking about also you as mira and lama uh and 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 you see i see lean's energy and you know uh and it gave me a lot of a lot of it 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 kind of recharged my battery and i was like oh god you you guys have energy you're working you're, you're being creative you're doing stuff oh the israeli ambassador is coming to the law school to legitimize a war crime which is the israeli settlement he's going to discuss the legal strategy behind that huh let's organize something well that's a brilliant idea you want to organize a walkout let's do a walkout boom 140 students walk out from the Israeli ambassador's talk and it it makes it to to the news worldwide and it became a thing because everything you do in Harvard uh, um you know has a potential to resonate with with people just because of you know the sheer place yeah uh and and it's uh it's reputation so anyway i um, um so i it was it was this energy and and to touch the black uh, uh palestinian solidarity uh, um issue uh it's a movement and that movement didn't start recently that movement movement started way way back malcolm x again we mentioned him before was a very well known uh uh a pro palestinian activist and that was because he was he was one of the very first leaders to talk about an influential figures to talk about true universal left and he understood the connection between what was happening to uh black communities and to oppressed communities uh uh um in the in the states and to the indigenous people there with what's what was going on in Palestine uh not very not a lot of people talked about this back then so he talked about these issues uh and 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 it's not just him it's you know Angela Davis so it's uh, it it it's it's something that started way way back i as a palestinian i say that i feel like we haven't done enough we haven't done enough as palestinians to support i think that's my own opinion to support our uh, black comrades black you know sisters and brothers in, in the states uh and that's the thing that i felt like we need to change because i also saw a lot of racism within palestinian communities in the states it was shocking to me <laughs> shocking like i can share a story if you want i remember uh, talking to uh, this very impressive palestinian figure he's uh he's involved with he's involved in the entertainment industry uh he's worked with some really big names i don't want to say in which in which field exactly but anyway we were talking about a shooting that was that, that took place in in hebron uh basically the israeli army um essentially assassinated a Palestinian and that this happens every few weeks right 
So we were, we were like discussing the video. We met in New York. We were discussing the video. I was showing him a video on my iPhone. And naturally, we switched to uh, police brutality cases uh, in the U.S., which was the conversation. The conversation had steered into that issue. Uh, and then he just amazed me by saying, uh, well, yeah, you know, but black people bring it on themselves. Like, oh, dude, <laughs> it's not, nah. <laughs> this is exactly what Israelis, this is exactly what Israelis say, uh, say about us, about Palestinians, uh, including that Palestinian man we just saw uh, had been murdered in, in, uh, in, in Hebron, that he brought it on himself. Yeah. No, this is not something that's, and, and, and people don't see that. And I think that if more Palestinians, not just in the U.S., but also Palestinians in Palestine, saw the potential that, uh, uh, that there is. And also that's the moral thing and the true solidarity uh, act uh, uh, we, need to, we need to do, which is to strengthen that solidarity and, and that connection, basically, to the, black, to the black movement in the state, to the black liberation movement in the state. Yeah, 100%. Um, I mean, like, yeah. even just thinking about what happened with George Floyd, like, Arabs and Middle Eastern people were in and around and adjacent to that story, and that they were the ones that called the cops in the first place. Like, they're not to say that they were to blame, but to say that they have been, like, observers of these kinds of events or, you know, police brutality or racism and have not necessarily been actively resisting or trying to go against it, but rather just passively observing and accepting it. And the, the brought it on themselves, I've heard that from a few of my Arab friends and like actually yeah, yeah. on my other show with Leila, like we dedicated a few episodes to like, what does black solidarity in the Middle Eastern community look like and what should it look like? And how do we begin with accountability? Because we, we aren't accountable. Like the fact that most of my parents' generation like is very racist is just true and we just laugh it off because what are you going to do with a bunch of 70 year olds who are not going to change their opinion right but then it's like how do we prevent that from seeping into the younger generation and from that like decision to not be ambivalent to go even further and be like okay now be active and be in solidarity with black people and be in solidarity with their movements because it's just as important as our movement and they go hand in hand. They're intimately interconnected, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that that anti-blackness that exists within some of the Arab communities is also a product of years of colonialism and occupation. Mm -hmm. And that, and it's also crazy to me because George Floyd's uh, murderer um, used um, a you know, that like knee on neck technique that was learned by, you know, occupiers in, in Israel. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, like the controlling this narrative and allowing people to recognize like how important, how strong solidarity is between different groups of, of communities who are oppressed. And that I think that, um, you know, colonizers you know, work hard to make sure that the, the solidarity doesn't exist because of how powerful it is, you know. Yeah, that divide and conquer mentality, right? An offshoot of what I will call white savagery. Ku and I were talking about that recently. I think calling it white supremacy does too much for them, right? Because it just equates whiteness with what's better and what's good, right? Oh, I'm better, I'm better, I'm supreme, right? And especially right now what we see with Trump supporters and with white nationalists, you know, it's like, it's white savagery. It is to be looked down upon. It allows you to continue to think that black is a monolith, that to be black is to be wrong. And I am superior. Yeah. It gives you an excuse. 
So I, I think this is also critiquing and calling in the, the language and the power of language. But it is, to your point, Lean, an offshoot of white savagery, divide and conquer. The more I can get you to think that you are less like the people who I'm going to get you to blame for your, for, for your um, dismal circumstances, the less you'll actually look here and see who's orchestrating it. And I think that that, to me, uh, provides so much hope in, in whether it's the base of conversations like this that will be followed with action. I think what I love what, about what you're saying, Rami, is that was for me a big um, eye-opener when I went to Palestine. And I, it, the second time, sat with folks uh, in Al-Quds who were Afro-Palestinians or met folks in Jericho, in Jericho yeah. who also were Afro-Palestinian. Um, but the first time, being on a trip where we're looking at Franz Fanon's Wretched of the Earth, but the organizers, bless their spirit, still they themselves hadn't made the, those connections really in tangible ways. And so to me, that illuminated the need for conversations like this. And, and Nora Erekat's, you know, her article, I talk about it all the time and I share it to everyone, anti-blackness and the Nakba, you know, sure, yeah. it is quite meta and, and maybe it, it might not be, I don't think she intended it for the general public per se, but that theorizing, pulling on Ronaldo Walcott, uh, Walcott's um, ideas around Afro-pessimism are so valuable to, 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 to at least begin to help folks to see why this is in the best interest of us all. I know you have five more minutes, so I want to <laughs> um, bring it back, but wow, what an exercise and an engagement with like intellectual, but also, you know, spiritual kind of fortitude. So thank you so much. Um, Let's bring it back yeah. and maybe end on some music. So like Rami, something that we're trying to incorporate onto this show as well is like the importance, the love, the like sharing of music. So what music do you listen to? What music should we play you off to today? And like, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, who are some Palestinian artists? It doesn't have to be. What have, yeah, who have I been listening to? uh well that, this this might seem biased but i've been actually today i was listening to uh to uh, one of my friends uh, uh who's been trying to because we talked about i the reason i'm mentioning him uh, is because we also talked about we started this uh, conversation today by talking about covid and these days and how hard it is to stay creative so I uh, was, uh, you, know, you know, when I was still in the States and when COVID started, the pandemic started, I was talking to my friend in Palestine, who's Kamen Nafar. Uh, he's the, um, kind of the first Palestinian rapper. Uh, he's also from, from Lebanon. He's trying to stay very, very creative and he's trying to push himself uh, to, the, to, 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 to his limits and trying to still release songs and like with music videos, the whole thing. So I was just listening to a song of his today, you're gonna map uh that he just released uh, a few months ago um and um, basically hearing music that he released from the last few months so i was listening to Tamina Nafar and i'm today hey hey Tama. that's who we got to meet the first time we sat down with you <laughs> yeah. the arab yeah. MCs, 2008 he's also yeah. yeah he's also from lid he's also from lid and uh we come from the same town so, so yeah, so it'd be awesome to, if you could play him. <laughs> I love that you brought it back to hip hop. That He's like the pioneer yeah. of hip hop. And he talks about yeah. seeing Tupac Shakur's Holly if you hear me and deciding to learn English after that and to learn how yeah. to talk. I love that so much. Wow. Yeah. Powerful. 
Kathleen, any words for us? I just want to say thank you, Rami. It was just awesome talking to you. Um, and I think, you know, having these conversations, um, you know, especially when we feel a little bit stagnant during COVID, um, I think these are important and um, they're powerful. And it was it was awesome hearing from you from Palestine. And I, you know, I'm going to Beirut in a couple of weeks, but it's my dream to be able to go to Palestine. You're going to be an hour away from me. And that's, I know. That's the, uh, that's the, yeah, that's the screwed up part because when the explosion happened uh, um, a couple of months ago, I, first off, we could hear it here because uh, Haifa is just an hour away, but because it's technically it's in Israel, so we can't, I can't just like get in my car, drive an hour up north and help, you know, my friends yeah. and basically my you know fellow Lebanese people and and that was so so messed up so in a way you're doing something that I wish I could so I'm really happy and I appreciate the fact you're going this is amazing but you know I'm also jealous and kind of sad that we can't really uh, yeah again it's uh, just like yeah. being divided you know like yeah. we can't even help each other because we are deliberately divided and that yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you yeah. so much, Rami, for your time. This is wonderful. Um, so good seeing you. We'll continue the convos, I'm sure. So good seeing you all. I really, really missed you. I really hope I get to see you back in Cambridge. Sounds good. Peace, Rami. Again, you're listening on WMBR 88.1. This is Break the Boxes. My name is Lama. And I'm Azmira. And I'm Lian. <laughs> and we're excited to be calling in our second episode. Thanks for tuning in. Little Mahmoud.